0: Better way to do this Let me show you a better way.
1: hi folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the survival podcast as always one man 's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don 't Today is a new show. I know that you were dealing with a rewind and uh, uh, kind of a repackaged presentation the last two days, and uh I I really did not intend on doing that. I intended on having all new shows this week, but as we got closer and closer to crunch time on getting the hell out the door here, it just wasn't really... it If I would have done two new shows, they wouldn't have been anywhere near my best work. I'll leave it at that. And so that's what we did. However, we had Aaron Forringer booked... ...for this Wednesday, so we were able to get at least one more brand new show for you before it goes to all rewinds until I return. And when will I be back? Well, I will be back on the 17th of May. Uh, I am officially out and gone by the time you are hearing this. uh, I'm not here. Well, wait a minute. I kind of am. It depends. Did you listen to it right when it came out? Are you listening to it like an hour after it was published? Then I'm kind of sort of still here... by the wee dawn hours of tomorrow, I will be drinking probably an early morning margarita just to celebrate my departure at Dallas-Fort Worth Airport. Yeah, I am on my way the hell out of here, guys, and I am going to have a hell of a vacation. I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that we're getting out to our favorite place in the world other than our own backyard. Uh, a place called Sanibel Island, Florida, that we're doing that a little earlier in the year this year. Uh, the surf fishing should be off the hook. And uh, I've sent out an email the last couple days, put some stuff out on social media. If you want, if you want to keep up with my exploits while I am gone, there's only one real good way to do that. It ain't Facebook, you know that, and it ain't Instagram, you know that, and it... Probably won't be YouTube or Odyssey, though. There might be a video or two that goes up. No, the little quick videos, pictures, little report-ins, pictures of Henry. Who's Henry? You won't know unless you do this. The only way you're going to see him is if you're following me on MeWe. That's right. That That is my new primary social media. Has been for about a year now, and I really enjoy it. I think that if you give it a shot, let me explain how this works. When you first sign up there, it's brand new. It's like going to a new place. You've never been there before. You don't know anybody yet. And even though you probably do know a lot of people there, you don't know that you know them. You don't know that they're there. It takes a while to meet some people and to start connecting with people and see something in your feed other than my stuff. And then you join some groups. And then you realize something. The reason that you get so engaged on Facebook in so many things that are negative is because Facebook knows this and puts things you don't like in front of you because they know it will trigger you. Their algorithm does that. If you get over on well, you just see the people you follow. Crazy ideas, and I follow this guy, and then like the stuff he puts up, I see it when he puts it up. That's crazy talk, but no, that's how MeWe works. And so you can control your feed. You can have stuff get bumped up to the top every time there's a new comment on it, or you can have it be just straight uh, chronological. And I've had a few people tell me, but you know what I don't like, Jack? I don't like seeing everything that everybody posts. Well, Well, there's a couple options. One, you can not follow them. Or two, and I do this to some of y'all. Some of y'all don't know who you are, but I know who you are. There are people that post like a 100 times a day, and they post crap that I'm really not interested in. Like, well, whatever. And you can actually, in MeWe, set your settings so someone that's following you or connected to you will see your post in their feed, but you won't see their post in your feed. You'll see like their comments and everything like that. It's not like blocking them. It's just like, well, this guy post a thousand memes that I've seen a hundred times already every day so I don't want to see those anymore and clog my feed with them so just turn it off. Pretty cool. Lots of great tools. The big thing is, I saw somebody post something on MeWe the other day and I really really dug it. And it was Facebook makes me hate people I Facebook makes me hate people I know. MeWe makes me like people I don't know. And I think there's a lot to be said for that because they're not purposefully stacking anger against anger on MeWe. It's actually what you'd call a productive discussion. And if you want to keep track of me and what I'm doing while I'm away, and like I said, I think the fishing is going to be off the hook, you're going to miss the sharks and the barracudas and everything if you don't follow me on MeWe. So get on over there and sign up if you haven't already done so. Um, and get the app. The app works slick, man. People say, that I don't know, its a, I don't like the user interface, but I'm like, it's almost exactly like Facebook with some extra features. It's literally the same but different, man. Like one of the cool things, you can see all of your feeds from your friends. You can see all of your all of your posts from groups, or you can see all of your posts from pages, all separately or all combined. You can actually do that on Facebook too, but it's kind of a pain in the ass. Like me, where you just if you're on the app, you just swipe left and right, and you can do that. It's really cool. Anyway, um, check me out there. What do we got going on for you today? I have Aaron Forringer on about writing as a side hustle. I've had Aaron on before, but not directly. Uh, He's been mentioned on the show a couple times. He's a writer, and he writes short stories and other things as well. I've actually read two of his stories on the Survival Podcast. One was called America's Big Game, and that was all the way back during episode 1426. And another one, which I thought was the best one, out of the two anyway, was called We Need a Monster, and that was episode 1822. So, like I said, he's been part of this community for a while, and we'll have him on in just a moment. Um, when I was thinking about bringing Aaron on, I, I was like, you know what? I need a quote of the day that's about stories, because that's what this guy uses to convey things, is uh, stories. So this quote is by uh, Muriel Ruskier, and she wrote, The universe is made of stories, not of atoms. Now, of course, anybody looking at that, with a technical eye would say, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. Of course the universe is made of atoms or maybe really subatomic particles or maybe even energy masquerading as matter. I mean, there's a lot of questions there, but the universe is not made of stories. If we want to be technical about the things that compose the universe, or is it made of stories? We'll let that go. We'll let that philosophical discussion go for today and just talk about what she meant. The universe is made of stories. The universe is we understand it. The universe is we know it. All things that we know and understand as people come from stories. Humans have a real hard time actually learning anything or understanding anything without stories associated with it. And even things that are very mechanistic that don't require a story tend to be the case that the teachers that are really good at it use stories anyway. If you look at mathematics, I think that mathematics with the stories behind the people that created the different mathematical theories and process is far more interesting and far far more likely to be recalled. If we're teaching mathematics using stories to explain why mathematics are actually useful, Will help us to better understand mathematics, and mathematics is about the most mechanistic thing we learn as human beings. When it comes to language, the only purpose of language is for communication, and the primary uh, medium of communication in the world today is stories. Uh, I have always, I, you know, I've always remembered back when I was a kid and my family was Catholic and we went to church. Every Sunday, every stinking Sunday, and and my favorite part of the Mass was always what they call the homily, which is where you know you're not reading scriptures or chanting things back and forth at each other. The priest just basically tells stories and how that's relevant to your life and how religion can play a role in your life. As much as as I was kind of already out the door from the church in my head, like I'm only here until I get old enough to get away, I really enjoyed that. Because it was relevant and because it was anchored with stories. Almost everything that we tend to actually enjoy has some level of story built into it. If you, uh, you're you listening to this, and you must be or you wouldn't be hearing it, then you like podcasts. What is a podcast but a story? You might learn a lot of things, but they're all built with stories and interconnected stories. Some of the best feedback I've ever gotten on episodes are episodes where I just tell stories about what happened in the past, in my life or in the lives of other people. What is history but a collection of stories? What is the Bible, if not a collection of stories? Sure, there's guidance and rules and everything, but the, the primary thing that the Bible does is convey those through the telling of stories. Stories interconnect humans, with everything around us and everything that we understand. The entire way humans began to move from very small groups to something approaching anything that we would call civilization, even early tribal civilization, is through the telling of stories to pass down knowledge and tradition. Stories are the thing that weaves us into the universe as we understand it. And that's what Muriel Rusker was saying when she said the universe is made of stories, not of atoms. I thought it would be a good launch today to get into talking uh, with Aaron, also known as AA4Ringer, on the stories that he tells, the message he's conveying with them, and we're even going to dig into how you can use writing as a side hustle to build your own income and your own freedom. With that, hey, Aaron, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Hey, you've been around the community a long time. Um, I've read a couple of your short stories on the air. Um, I mean, going back years now, you're here today to talk about writing as a side hustle and some of the things that come out of writing and storytelling. But let's start off with the story of Aaron. Like, how did you get to where you are today where you're doing this uh, as a side hustle and, and building kind of a portfolio of writing?
2: Well, I grew up in western Pennsylvania. Like you, I'm a big Steelers fan, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, when I was in high school, I didn't know what to do with myself, except at the time, back in the 80s, you just went to college, and I got a uh, B.A. in criminology, and I was kind of uh, impatient, and instead of going to the state police, which would have taken nine to ten months, I decided to go into the Army full-time. I was in the National Guard before going through college. And uh, I went into the uh, regular Army, worked in military intelligence for a while, and then finished out my uh, time in the Army as a CID agent in Schofield Barracks, Hawaii. I uh, then went into the private sector in security for a while. I designed security systems. I did investigations. I even did some retail security for a while. Um, and then I got uh, a little bit tired of just guarding somebody else's bottom line, so I returned to public service. Uh, first of all, I worked as corrections officer at a maximum security prison in Western PA, Graterford, and then I uh, became a parole agent, where I retired from a couple of years ago. Uh, most of my time I spent in West Philadelphia, and then I, after I retired, I said I wanted to do something. I would, wanted to stay in the security industry, so I went to uh, moved to Florida. And I'm not going to say the company's name, but it's a largest, uh, single site employer in central Florida. In fact, as hmm. far as the world. And, uh, I, I do, uh, I'm just a low level security person for them, but it's been really interesting and really fun. And I got much better clientele than when I was a parole agent. Let me tell you.
1: I, I would imagine. So I'm going to tell you, I had a, a really brief. Fresh Prince of Bel Air flashback when you said West Philadelphia.
2: I get that all the time. Anybody, anytime I tell somebody I used to work in West Philadelphia, I if it, if I'm addressing a large group or something, I always get that little song. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I actually drove by his high school for uh, like twelve years. Overport really? High school. Yeah. He also went to the same school as uh, uh, Doctor J. No.
1: Yeah, Dr. J or whatever. But well, uh, There's Dr. J, the basketball player, and Dr. Yeah, Dr. Dre. J,
2: the basketball player. He, yeah. he went to the same high school as Will Smith.
1: Oh, Julie but, Serving, cool. Yeah, I, but, I know way more about Dr. J than Dr. Dre. I'll just... <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, it's just Dr. J, the, the basketball player. Yeah, there's yeah, actually man. a historical sign outside the high school for him.
1: That's really cool. So. I had no idea. So we're we're going to talk about storytelling today mm-hmm. uh, and self-publishing. Let's start out with the storytelling side. Why do you think storytelling itself is important?
2: Uh storytelling is is a way to communicate. It's it's a, without beating people over the head with things. Um you know, you, one of the famous stories that you tell is the ant and the grasshopper and uh that's about preparedness. And we can communicate so many different aspects without beating people over the head uh to get the point across. You know, you can preach preparedness, you can say have food and water and to meet your needs. But uh the ant and the grasshopper is a great example of be prepared because there's one thing I've learned in life. Good times end and bad times end. And but so when they end, be prepared for the next stage. So um and you also recently talked, I've heard you talk a couple times about uh, communicating liberty principles emotionally instead of with facts and logic, that we're getting to a point in society where we may not, people, facts and logic don't always convince people. Mm. So I'm thinking maybe storytelling and get making an emotional connection with people is a better way to do it.
1: Yeah, I think oh. people remember stories, too. Yes, like, you do. actually connect with them, like, it, my my favorite, one of my favorite teachers, anyway, in high school was a history teacher,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he didn't just talk about facts and the way things were, stuff out of the book. He told the inner story of the larger thing, and mm-hmm. that made it more interesting and, and more memorable. This guy was actually such a good teacher that he got investigated because too many of the kids in his class got A's. <laughs> And then, then he gave the the people that investigated him that his test, and they couldn't pass it. Yeah, because they hadn't so. gone through his class. Because it was really, it was no. a really interesting way he did it. You'd have like twenty terms on one side of the test, twenty terms on the other. It could be words or phrases,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: you had to connect them. But then you had to explain the connection. So there mm-hmm. there could theoretically be more than one right answer, but you had to be able to explain the connection. And mm-hmm. none of the investigators were able to actually pass the test. Yeah, I, it was, I just think. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, but it was because of the storytelling.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's that's the way we teach. Uh, I, I used to work with the Boy Scouts, and that's one of the ways you teach how to t- tie a bone line. The rabbit goes around the tree, yeah. down the hole, out of the hole, and so forth. I can't do it. I don't have, my, I don't have a rope in my hands right now. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, that's just adding another thing to another layer to uh, – the thing, you're personalizing that the bite, the end of the rope is the rabbit, and it's going around the tree and down the hole. So, uh, I mean, I don't want to think that writing and storytelling is the be-all, end-all, but it's it's important in life. It's how we communicate things. So...
1: Well, I, I said during my intro segment going in with our quote of the day today that mm-hmm. like one of the most sacred thing in people and in many people's lives anyway are religious texts, specifically the Bible and the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So what are they other than a collection of stories? There's some genealogy and stuff like that in there but
2: and some laws and whatever.
1: Yeah, but ninety percent of it is storyline. That's and mm-hmm. if it wasn't there wouldn't be, like, you know, movies and series about Moses and Samson and David, right? Like oh, yeah. Without, or, or you no, know, how I don't know how many times the gospel's been told in movies, right? Hey, without the storyline, it wouldn't happen.
2: Yeah, and in and, and so many different ways. Uh, the musical Godspell, Jesus Christ Superstar, all, all the different ways that the story can be told uh, is just a different interpretation by a different person in how they see
1: the story. So and then we're back to teaching as well because how many of Jesus's lessons were in stories? How many exactly. of, of Buddha's lessons were in stories, right? Mm-hmm. It's not unique to Christianity. It's, oh, it's, no. it's 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 universal and I think that's why it connects with people because we all have stories, so mm-hmm. we all relate to stories. Yeah. yeah. So
2: but uh I just find it in Always fascinating, and I think one of the good things about storytelling is you can watch something unfold and then tell a story about it later. It's not exactly what happened, but you just distill down the pertinent parts of it that are important to the end
1: of the story. So, so you primarily write fiction. Why? Yeah. Why do you think that you know fiction's important? Science fiction's important, that type of thing. Well, fiction I think is important because.
2: Uh, well, they say that people that read fiction are more empathetic. Yeah. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's always a great thing, uh, to be empathetic. Uh, I think it's all, sometimes equally important to be compassionate. Like, You don't need to, to uh, be empathetic when a child is afraid of lightning. You're not afraid of lightning. You know it's just a or thunder. You know it's just a noise. You need to be compassionate in that. Yeah. But sometimes uh, storytelling... Can put you in the place of the other person or put you, have you, have you experience either the fear or the hatred they're feeling or, you know, put you in that place. And that's why fiction can be important. And science fiction is just putting it in a different place. Uh, there's, there's many stories where we, where we explore racism or things of that nature or the other. Uh, because, you know, you are, the, you, when you're reading it from that point of view, you are the other. Um, the other being something other than what you are as, you know, I'm a white male. Yeah. I cannot experience things from the point of a female. But if I can read the story and, and, and the author or the writer is good enough and I can then feel what they're feeling in a certain situation, I can feel their fear, I can feel their Disgust or whatever, if he's doing good, if the writer is doing a good job. So,
1: I think there's a lot to that, like, and I think you can tell stories maybe before society's ready that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember listening to an interview uh, with Michelle Nichols, who played uh, Lieutenant Uhura Mm -hmm. in the original series of Star Trek, and she was talking about how she was talking to Gene Roddenberry at one point, you know, and of course, that came out like 66 to 69. Mm -hmm. So it's a totally different time, you know. Oh, yeah. And she said to Roddenberry, like halfway through the first season, oh, I see what you're doing. We're doing reality plays. And he said, shh. Oh, yeah. Don't say that. (laughs) That's why we get away with it, right? So they were bringing certain morality plays and morality lessons to a society that maybe wasn't quite there, especially having it put on – TV at prime time when there were three channels, right? Like, Because oh. it's a different place of oh, yeah. time, but they were able to explore all of these things, and I know somebody out there is going to get all triggered because you're a millennial or whatever, and you're going to be like, but there was sexism. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're missing the point, right? Exactly, yeah. Like, it was so far ahead of where society was, and mm-hmm. nobody blinked. Or just fiction, like, you tell me you could do a real show with real people and it and get away with the shit South Park gets away with. Oh you, no. You yeah. never do it. No.
2: <laughs> I mean I
1: mean in
2: the in the one Star Trek episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield with the black the guys are black on one side and white on the other. Oh yeah. That's just blatant. I mean, it was it wasn't the greatest story. story. It's not no. one of the best ones. But it's 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 stripping away all our preconceived notions, all our uh, all the the luggage just comes along with what's going on right now or right or as in that case right then you know
1: yeah cuz you had aliens they they weren't they weren't know. us so you could you could do things and it also was like so anybody looking at that went wait the left side of their face is black and the white side is right and the other ones are switched around but they're the same well that's stupid and that made yeah. you look at yourself so it wasn't I mean, come on—the technology and, and and what they had to cram in—and oh no, and, yeah, you know, they, like they, I mean, they, they,
2: they're you're they're level limited by your format, you know?
1: yeah, yeah. And I mean, like we also have to, like when people criticize original series Star Trek, I don't want to go too off on a tangent, but I'm like, no. you, you do know those people made like 45 episodes a year, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And and today yeah. a series makes like 12, exactly, right? Yeah. You know, and, so like,
2: and they're they're working with a budget and constr- all, you know, they're working with. They have to work within 45 minutes or yeah. whatever how long it is. I mean, I, personally, I think the best classic uh, science fiction show is The Twilight Zone because uh, mm. they were only doing it within 23 minutes. Yeah. But uh, they did some very powerful stuff like, uh, you know, the monsters on Maple, Maple Maple Street or whatever it was. Yeah. And uh, the, the shelter one where they think there's a bomb falling and one people go into the shelter and, their neighbors are pounding on the door trying to get in, and it turns out in the end there's there's no atomic bomb.
1: But then they have to live with each other.
2: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But that's fiction. Yeah. you know. But it yeah. puts you in a place where, well, what would I do? What would I, you know, the what-if scenarios come out, which I think is very important for preparedness.
1: I'll tell you what, I think a lot of young people today sh- should go back and uh, I saw Netflix mm-hmm. watch the original uh, Twilight Zone you mentioned because – then maybe they'll understand, guys our age and older, how we grew up with uh, fear of the specter of nuclear war. Because like every third or fourth episode had something to do with nuclear war. And there's a oh, reason. Yeah. There was a reason. Right? <laughs> it wasn't because, oh, that was like the scariest thing people could come up with. It was ever present in our lives. I still remember drills where we hit under our desks at school. And so that was going to protect you. But uh, yeah, uh <laughs> life's better today. And I think that like stories are part of how we know that. Now, mm-hmm. you're a writer... So mm-hmm. if you write, someone has to read it, or it's just words on a page, right? Exactly. So as a writer, you probably read as well. How do you balance like not lifting other people's material with the need to read, et cetera? Because I, like, I know I am limited in how much I listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now, obviously, I'm a podcaster, so I think mm-hmm. it's an important medium. But I tend to actually listen to podcasts that are loosely within my niche not directly because like my memory is stupid like i mm-hmm. can hear something and parrot it back to you 3 days later and i mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. point where i might not know it so i i try to balance that like how do you handle that and why do you think reading's important for writers as a whole uh, well as a writer you finally you have to
2: realize there is no real original stories <laughs> There's a debate on how many basic stories there are. Some people, some scholars say there's three, some people say there's seven. I've seen as high as 36, but there's no original stories. It's just a retelling and a repackaging of whatever story you're telling. I mean, I have five books out now, and I know there's nothing original about them. You know, they're, they're original to me, what I created. But the storyline themselves, they're not original. Uh, the one series is a, a soldier set in a war. The other is a private investigator story. You know, those stories have been told so many times, but you just have to accept. And I've heard that in every book, every writer, there's about a thousand books that you read before you get ready to write. And, uh, so what I've been told and what I've read and everything is, what you, what you read does influence how you write. So read everything, but only steal from the best. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, you, you only steal. Oh, the, you know, like I love Hemingway. Hemingway's, uh, very short story, a clean and well lit place is one of my favorite. It's only about three pages long and it's just a marvelous little picture, but the, the way he, crafts his words and the word selection is so important um, but just I I could tell you could probably set up 20 people 20 writers in a room and say here's the scenario write that scenario and you could get 20 different variations of that story you know like we were saying the other you know, about uh, the gospel yeah e- even the gospel there was there's four different gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John and then how many you know like we said stories and that have been interpreted from that. So there's no real original story. But, you know, about it being original, you can't be original. Yeah. But you you can yeah. tell. But uh, Kevin Smith says the only currency each person has is their own voice. Mm. So spend it wisely.
1: I think there's validity to that because, like, you give me any story and I can probably tell you a Shakespearean play that basically is that story. Exactly. You, you know, the guy wrote enough, he pretty much covered all those basic concepts yeah. right you know yeah
2: there, and then you know there's basic and then there's the the stereo the each character is a is an archetype or whatever by young or whatever you know so i i just write what I I just write what I want to want to read Gotcha. That, that's another big thing you know i i don't write so that i make other people happy I hope it does i hope other people buy it but I, I write that I en- so that I enjoy it, because I can't figure out what makes you happy. I can't figure out what the guy down the street makes him happy. Yeah. But maybe we have enough commonality that it would make some other people happy, too. Or well, it's, it's like the people
1: it. that say, you know, like, well, that guy only knows 12 chords on a guitar. Well, that's because there's 12 chords on a guitar. Yeah. There's 12 <laughs> yes. major chords, anyway. It's how you put <laughs> them together, right? Like, exactly. What do you exactly. want him to do, play the 18th chord that doesn't exist? <laughs> exactly.
2: So... Yeah, you know, uh, it's just, you know, my flavor, my my view of the world that does influence my writing. And uh, hopefully I'm clear enough and concise enough that people enjoy them and and uh, have had some feedback that people do enjoy my stories. So
1: how did you get started writing? Like, I mean, most of I, us like we write like in school when they make you. And yeah. then we write for work or business. Like, yeah. writing stories is something that is, especially like original stories, like,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's something that's unique. Like, not every, and I'm not going to say that not everybody can do it, but not everybody's going to. I mean, there are people that, no. like, I could say, hey, and you know what, man? You can write a story and uh, write me a book, uh, 300 pages, and I'll, I'll give you $100,000. And there's people, if they're not poor, they're like, I don't care. I'm not yeah. doing it, right? Like, yeah. how, how did you become... A writer. like Um, I'm a daydreamer, and I loved
2: science fiction and everything when I was a kid, and I just had this recurring story going through my head. And the first book I ever wrote, Scouts Out, is about uh, a guy waking up and being in outer space out of his time and everything and becoming a soldier in a war. Mm. And... I wrote this as a hobby. I wrote it, <laughs> I, I started writing it when my daughter was born, when I lived in Hawaii. And then I did what um, Isaac Asimov says to never do, let it sit in a drawer and eat its head off. Hmm. And uh, I it sat there for years. And it wasn't until, and I'm going to blame you for this, uh, I started listening to you that I decided to do something with it and uh i said well how do i get it out there and i sent it out to some publishers i i pulled it out of the drawer dusted it off and uh edited it up some and it's probably still not the best shape it should be but i sent it out to publishers and it didn't go anywhere hmm. i did i don't even think i got a lot of rejection letters i think it just <laughs> it went no it went into the black hole
1: file 13 as we <laughs> yes, used to exactly. call it right
2: <laughs> and um so I said, "Well, okay, let me try this thing." And I'll, I'll, I created a website, my my website, and I put it out there. And I was hoping, okay, now what? <laughs> Will people run to it and uh, start reading it? And I'll get all kinds of fans, and then I'll get a book deal? Nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing, nothing. I mean, I, I had to. I think I had to beg my friends to read it. And I do have one friend that's one of my avid readers, and he's a Scott. He's a, he's a great friend of mine. And, um, he, uh, and it just sat there. And then a couple of years ago, I, I was looking around for self-publishing and I came upon a website called smashwords.com. And, uh, I said, well, I'll try this. And, uh, I did. And it's out there still. And, um, then I just said, well, I have another story about that same thing. And I just started writing more and more. And, I, you know, it just fell into it, and it's a good hobby, it's not too expensive, except when you pay for the cover art, um, but, uh you know, it's just something I enjoy doing, I I think if, even if nobody ever reads my stories, I'll continue writing, I'll be a lone guy sitting in behind the keyboard writing away, I'd, I'd like, you know, I'd like that to be my full time, but... Even if it never is, I'm going to keep on writing. So, but, uh, I, I have had some success for th- freelancing. I joined a writers group, uh, back when I lived in Pennsylvania for a short time and, uh, I got on their mailing list and then I, um, they said there were look, there was a semi-annual magazine came out twice a year that was for the region, the Lower Highlands uh, magazine. And they were looking for writers to write stories about destinations. And somewhere along the way, I had written a couple articles on my website about places I had been, and you know, like Washington D.C. How to see D.C. and not the normal things. Like instead of going up to the Washington Monument, you go up to the Postal Tower in uh, D.C. The old Postal Building, and uh, it has much better, unobstructed views. There's no little teeny window to look out of you. It's just a wide open view. And it's right over by Ford's Theater. So I wrote that article just because I, I love to travel. And this uh, publisher said, well, do you have anything you can show me? And I said, yeah, I have this. And I had done this out of just I wanted to try it. And they said, that's great. Uh, send us an article about... Uh, any historical landmarks or historical places in uh, the lower highlands. And I cheated on the first one. They said they wanted it in a week. And I said, well, okay, this uh, battlefield right next to my house where I grew up, uh, the Bushy Run Battlefield, I, I wrote an article about that in about a week. It was uh, 900 words. I think I got 300 bucks for it. And um they loved it. Mm. And they said, uh Okay, uh, we need another one in six months. What else you got? Okay. So <laughs> yeah. I wrote a series of articles for them on, uh, I think Fort Necessity, uh, Fort Le- uh, Fort Ligonier. No. Yeah, Fort Ligonier and a bunch of other places in uh, the lower highlands. And then the largest magazine I've written for is the VFW magazine, uh, the national magazine about Uh, the army unit I was involved with that went to Somalia in 93 so but uh, that's how I got into freelancing I haven't done too much freelancing lately freelancing is a lot of uh, uh, hustle you have to continually go out and look for jobs and you have to uh, and, and I've never missed a deadline and I think that the editors talk about it and say okay this guy's always on time and he doesn't need to edit my stuff so much. I, I, in fact, they've never sent it back. They've just done the editing without my approval. But you know, I'm just a freelancer, so they can do with it whatever they want. I mean, they always send you a contract before you freelance. They say we want such and such number of words. I uh, will pay you this much, and it has to be in by the such and such a date. So you know, because they have deadlines of themselves. And uh, that's how I've done some freelance writing. I just kind of fell into it. But, uh, it's a, at the beginning of every magazine, there's usually a place where you can write to the publisher and p- make proposals for articles that fit into that niche. Uh, I'm a- subscribed to a couple emails that, uh, send out these types of things. They say that we're looking for art- writers of this, and this. It's usually magazines I have no clue about, you know, usually highly technical or something, but occasionally something comes across that I try for. And, uh, but uh, that's how I fell into writing. It's it's mostly a hobby of me, hobby for me. But it has paid a few bills over the t- over time. The larger the uh, distribution of the magazine, like the VFW magazine, is a nationwide magazine. I got a pretty penny for that. Paid for my trip up to Fort Drum to see all my old buddies. So. Did I go? <laughs> no, good. Good. Yeah, okay. Letting you, giving you. I started to go. I started to just talk.
1: So. Nah, man, that's cool. You're a writer. You're a storyteller. So yeah. that brings us to self-publishing, uh, mm-hmm. advantages, drawbacks, etc. Because that's kind of what you're doing now, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's what I'm concentrating on. I'm not too much doing any freelancing. I'm working on my own such stuff. Um, the pu- the advantages of publishing. There's no gatekeeper. There's no nobody saying you can't do this. You put it out there and it's out there. I work with a company called Smashwords. If they sell it on their site, I get 85% of the profits or 85% of the retail. Okay. Uh, they get the rest. Uh, if they send it to a retailer, which they work with Barnes and Noble, Apple Books, a few others, Kobe, um, I only get 70%. So, um, but they, they, they have all the links to the, the, the companies and they make sure my book goes into their formatting, and if not, I have to fix it or add returns or whatever. You know, make sure my artwork for the cover is uh, to the to proper standards. But uh, the drawbacks: you have to do all your own promotion. There is nobody out there trying to get your book on the shelf. There is nobody getting your book in front of other people. It's just you. And hopefully your friends are helping you. And I have some wonderful friends that are helping me out a lot, um, getting my books out there. Um, my light, my latest one is uh, called the Miles Mitchell Mystery. It's a private investigator that works in uh, cases in and around Disney World. He's not affiliated with Disney. Disney. I have to be very careful about that, considering who I work for. Yeah. And uh, but he works in and around that the uh, the magical most magical place on earth and uh they are doing some things to help me promote uh you know social networking and such so but uh you know it's now can you go over from smashwords to uh traditional publishing yes you can because you own all the rights mm. smashword is just a, basically a distributor for you if at any time I want to pull down my books, I retain all the rights, um, they, you know, they'd be happy if I did that, you know, because they go, oh, good, he's made a success, and maybe he'll tell more people that he started out on Smashwords. Gotcha. So, and they're also, they just started a couple of years ago with a program to turn your book into an audio book. It's called Find a Way. Hmm. Uh, they then, once you get the book, they... they you can do it either one of two ways. You can either read it yourself and put it in the proper format, and then they'll send it out to distributors like Audible audiobooks, audi, Audible Audible books, and um, send it out to them. And uh, that'll be another method for people to uh, uh, experience your writing. So, I have just finished the Miles Mitchell book. It's about two hours worth of material, and I'm still waiting. Still, a few uh, hiccups I think with the uh, format and everything, but hopefully it'll be out really soon, and you can. Uh, then I can compete with uh, Josh, uh, Jack, you for your uh, for ear time. Hmm.
1: So <laughs> cool, man. So, are there any like hidden things about writing you had no idea about until you actually started doing it? Specifically, doing it to try to. Uh, to get your work out there, to do it professionally, to make some revenue from it, that type of thing. Um, just
2: that to get revenue from. Um, just how I mean, there's so much stuff out there in self-published world uh, that it's hard to get noticed. Uh, what I found about writing in general, though is the amount of people that think they have an idea that you could turn into a book. You tell them you're a writer and they go, oh, I have a great idea for a, a, a story. I go, fine, tell it yourself. I have enough ideas. <laughs> you know, like uh John Steinbeck said, ideas are like rabbits. You get a couple and learn how to handle them properly and and then you have dozens. I have so many ideas for books. I have books I've started. I haven't finished. I have... Books I've written, or that I want to redo because I decided to change the point of view or something along those lines, but you know, I, I imagine the same happens with you. You know, oh, you should do this, Jack, or you should do that, Jack, and and then they go, uh, no, I have enough ideas of my own.
1: Yeah, my favorite ones. I got an idea for a business, but you can't tell anybody about it if I tell you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, I go. Do you, I go. <laughs> yeah, go write your own book. You know, I, I have. I have. In my science fiction series, I have about 20 books total I want to write in that science fiction universe, and I have no time to be writing. You want to pay me? I'll you pay me? I'll write you anything you want. To, you, want. you know, if anybody wants to contact me and say write my story, I will write your. I will write the heck out of your story. It's going to be expensive, but I will do it.
1: So, <laughs> yeah, I think writing is one of those things. Like, if somebody did give you an idea for a story, Mm -hmm. and you did write it, Mm -hmm. they would never be happy with how you wrote it. Oh, no, 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 no. Right? There's no no point. Like It's it's literally like, don't tell me, because if I ever come up with it on my own, you're going to bitch that I did it wrong, because... It was your child that you wanted to raise, but you didn't do it, so you gave that child to somebody else to raise. Exactly. So now you're not happy with how the child was raised. Well, then you should have raised the kid yourself.
2: Yeah, Charles Schultz, the guy that created Peanuts, he, which was he was a phenomenal, you know, did it six days a week, and he would tell people they'd start to that phrase. Oh, I have it goes. Don't <laughs> I will not do it. <laughs> I, I read his autobiography a couple of years ago, and he said don't tell me it. I won't do it because, you know, he had enough of his ideas of his own, so, yeah. which was phenomenal. The man was a machine, they say, whenever he was uh, working, because, like I said, he'd do all the drawing and all the stories himself. So, but, uh, and but the hardest thing about writing is not the writing itself, it's the editing later on. It's the... Uh, Getting, getting your stuff and looking at it, hopefully with some new eyes, although I still can't do it that well. I look at it and I go, okay, that word fits. And then I go, and, and here uh, I have discovered through doing an audio book that I'm going, why am I telling that again? I don't need to hold that whole phrase and I'll cut it out and re- redo that little part. And I go, okay, that, I, that makes it flow better. Um, so there's many ways to edit it. I always do a hard copy edit with red pencils and whatever else. And, but that's probably the hardest thing of writing. If, if you want to do a good job, I guess is to, uh, edit. Mm. So, I mean, Hemingway always said, and this is n- not true, but he goes, write drunk and edit sober, <laughs> which, uh, he later said, no, nah, that's not true. He goes, that's, he was joking around when he said that. So.
1: I'm not so sure. <laughs> I'm not so sure, man. I'm really not. Uh,
2: but you know, uh, he, there's he, a, he, goes, he, goes, he could because uh, uh, oh, it's a guy who wrote The Great Gatsby. He goes, I can tell when he's been been drinking when he's writing. So he, he used to be able to tell us how his friends used to write when they were drunk. So he he, but,
1: he there's a there's a song from Jimmy Buffett called He Went to Paris. Mm-hmm. And there's a line, and it says, uh, "He fishes the pylons and drinks his green label each day," mm-hmm. and that's totally about Hemingway. Oh yeah, yeah. that's totally about like he, yeah. Jimmy was a great storyteller, or is a great storyteller. Oh no, yeah. I,
2: I wish I wish I could tell storytelling in the in the way some of, like John Denver and yeah and Billy Joel and everybody else, uh, the singers, songwriters, they are storytellers. I w- I wish I had some musical talent. I I don't, unfortunately. I'm about tone deaf. But uh, initially it was really hard to figure out how to carve out time. Everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be just right. Yeah. Uh, The house had to be quiet or whatever. Now I can sit down after I've been doing this for so many years. I can write a paragraph or two out. I got 20 minutes. I can sit down and write because I've trained my brain to go, okay, that's where I was in the story and go right back to it. Uh, I imagine a lot, you know. When I I couldn't do that when I first started, I had to have everything just perfect, you know. So, but not the case anymore, which is neat to find out that I can do that so much better now.
1: I think and it's I like just... anything. If you do it long enough, you get good at it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, when I, back when I used to do fiber optic work, I would sit down and polish these little tiny connectors. You had to look at under a microscope to know what you mm-hmm. did. And when I would train somebody, they're like. You know, they'd sit there and pound on it, pound it, and look like shit, and I'd do it in like three seconds, they'd look at it, mm-hmm. it look perfect. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? I'm like, well, that's like the fifty thousandth one I've done. Right? So it's not impressive no. anymore. When you go to the you go to the deli and you tell mm-hmm. the guy you want a pound and a quarter of a hand, and he's mm-hmm. like he throws it up there and he's yeah. like within a, a tenth of an ounce. Yeah. And you're like, Wow, and he's like, Don't be impressed. This just no. shows you that my life is sad.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, when I worked in the uh, corrections, we had a shoe shine. Yeah. When the convicts around the shoe, and I love to watch him work because there is was no wasted motion. He would shine your shoes in just a perfect manner. Yeah, and uh, I've I've seen the same thing at bag, you know, people bagging your groceries, especially uh, at some stores where they still have paper bag. The way they stack the bag and, and build it just right with no wasted motion, I'm going, I. I I want to be a writer like that that there's no wasted motion, no wasted words. Um and uh, I I think I'm getting there. We'll we'll see. So but
1: uh yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's like being the the bulldozer driver that never goes any further backward than he goes forward, right? I mean like
2: Exactly. There is exactly. a
1: mastery of things and Yeah. They say it's 10,000 hours. I'm not sure, but I don't think that could hurt. No, no, won 't hurt if anybody 's done anything for ten thousand hours they 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 get pretty Supposedly good at an it.
2: expert yeah so yeah i've heard that
1: i'm uh i'm not sure where i 'm at with it I know I crossed my ten thousand hours of podcasting quite a while ago. I might be getting close to twenty who knows i i think i 'm an expert listener because <laughs> <laughs> i've like a, i've been
2: listening since uh you were still in the house in Arlington. Oh wow, that's that's a while. 2009, I think, somewhere around there, and I think I was right. I started listening full time uh, right about the time you quit working. Okay. At the job
1: that was 2010. That was January 2010. Okay. It was okay, my first.
2: So yeah, I know you're in Arlington.
1: That's a long you time moved to ago, dude.
2: Arkansas. So I've been listening for that long, and I just want to thank you for all the wisdom you've given me and all the encouragement. Uh, I, I know you weren't sp- speaking to me specifically, but if sometimes it felt that way.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, so, that's that's part of getting good at storytelling too, is so people think you're talking to them. Yeah. Um, yeah no. So when you were doing freelance, how did you find writing jobs?
2: Um, like I said, I lucked into that. I but you know, I and networking, the network, uh, the uh, publisher of the uh, Lower Highlands Magazine. I, uh, I, I asked them, I said, do you have any other publishers? You, do you know any other, pu- uh, you know, editors? And they said, oh, we, we know the editor of the VFW magazine. It's a friend of ours. And so that's how I got that job. So I think, you know, editors, you know, especially magazines, there, there's, ed, uh, publishers publish a lot of magazines. And I think those net, uh, editors talk and, refer you and give you uh you know if if they like you and like your style and that you hit your deadline and they don't have to edit it too much they you know but i, I think the main thing with that is tenacity is mm-hmm. coming up with ideas to uh you know they they want you to do a pitch how many pitches can you do how many how many articles can you propose to them that might interest them and you have to know the magazine you have to know Who their audience is, and uh, then look at their style. And I'd suggest to any writer out there that wants to uh, write for any specific magazine, read that magazine, then try and write an article that uh, might appear there. Just practice. Um, And if you want to write something, write something. Just just do it. I mean, it's not going to hurt you to try. So, like I said, I had those I had those travel articles done before anybody was reading them, but mm. that uh, magazine writer for Laurel Highlands magazine, she liked my style and she, you know, and she saw that I kind of knew what I In fact, she said uh I'd written one about the Baronhof Museum, which is a fabulous house in Pittsburgh, and she goes, "Can we put this in there?" cuz she mm. wasn't from Laurel Highlands. They they were based in Kansas. Yeah. And, uh, I said, that's not in the Lower Highlands. That's down in Pittsburgh. So, <laughs> but, uh, uh, I, I did, <laughs> I did, uh, she came out, uh, the publisher, the editor came out to meet me and, uh, the head, the, the magazine was, uh, by, uh, the Lower Highlands Tourism Commission. And she came out to meet with them and then I, I sat in on the meeting and it was a lunch meeting in a little town called Ligonier. And, uh, I, she had asked me to write a, an article on, uh, Bedford Village, which is a little historical village, kind of like Williamsport, but not on the scale. And right on the, the entrance to the Lower Highlands magazine or like on the entrance to the Lower Highland Mountains. And I went there and I'm sitting down there with the editor and the uh, person from the tourism board. And I said, hey, I have that article on Bedford, uh, Be- Bedford Village. And the person from the tourism board said, uh, oh, that's not in our area. I go, it's, it's not. <laughs> and they had already signed a contract with me for the Bedford Village, uh, article. And, uh, so I got paid. The, the, the article never got published, but I still got paid because I was under contract. Mm. So it never appeared anywhere. It's it's on my website, but uh, you know that that type of thing happens. But luckily, I was I had signed the paperwork and they had agreed to it, and I would written the article, and it's just sitting there. And, and uh, the Laurel Highlands Tourism Commission uh, just didn't want to uh, advertise the Bedford Museum, the hmm. Bed- little. Uh, Bedford Village or whatever it was. So, but uh hey, I I didn't care. I got paid for it. So,
1: gotcha, that man. Was... So, um, how did you write a book? Because you wrote a book while working a full time job and all the other things in your life. I mean, I know I've done some writing. It 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 is time consuming.
2: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about your book, but I'll, I'll answer that question first. <laughs> <laughs> Because I signed up to be one of your uh, affiliates or whatever. But uh, uh, you just carve out the time. You have to make it important. And like I said in the beginning, it was everything had to be quiet in the house. I had to get my candle lit and have just an, an aura of quietness. And I had to concentrate and everything else. And now I, I can sit down. I'm walking out the door, and I have 20 minutes before I have to be somewhere. Oh, I can, I can write out a paragraph right now. So um, – but it's just setting the priorities, setting the, uh, the priorities of what you want to do. I can't have the TV on when I'm writing. I can't, uh, I can listen to music, but, uh, I yeah, yeah, usually you listen to, uh, instrumental stuff mostly when I'm writing, but, uh, it's just a matter of carving out the time and make, and if it's important to you to get it done, you'll get it done. I don't think a lot of people can, uh, can make that commitment though. So, it means saying yes to that one thing and that means saying no to other things.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. As far as my book, it's done. Um, okay. my part's done. My part's okay. been done. I'm on my third person as far as doing like the formatting and stuff like that so that I can publish it. Okay. Okay. And my third time of going, you know what? That's it. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Go back under your rock. So yeah, no, um,
2: so you going to do traditional? Are you going to do a hardcover and every, a hardback? I, I was. Or what are you going to do?
1: I, I wanted to. I was going to use the Amazon self publishing because it's a mm-hmm. huge market, and I was going to mm-hmm. do it both as a a hard copy, though soft jacket book, because it's just much uh-huh. less expensive that way, and also electronically. Um, and okay. I've, I've kicked around some other ideas about that, but. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a big book. It's it's over 60,000 word count. Okay. So right. it, it, it doesn't really hit the sweet spot with the pricing models on Amazon, which was something oh, okay. that I had no idea about when I wrote the book. I just wrote the book. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And it, it started out, it was going to be 30 laws of life, and it ended up being 16. And even with 16, it ended up over 60,000 words. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah,
2: illustrations and pictures, or no, no, No? it's
1: just textual formatting and some things like that. And there were some things that were in it that changed dramatically when COVID hit. Okay, so there was some rewrite in that, as far as certain things like ways that you could monetize your life and things like that that were Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, if I drop this in the middle of COVID, I'm going to get slaughtered Mm -hmm. on on the reviews because of the timing. Like, if it, it dropped a year earlier. No I mm-hmm. could say shit, right? But like, yeah, if it yeah. dropped in the middle of COVID, and there was certain I things that it's. I can't it do sh- that, you know. You know that yeah. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Yeah. So, so. Uh, but it's done. I mean, it's 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 a finished work. All my mm-hmm. part is done. Um, I do want to get a kind of corresponding website to go along with it because of the type of book that it is, but mm-hmm. that's not necessary. It just uh, the one thing I've learned as a writer is don't write shit into a book that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. <laughs> Right, because then you're like, okay, I got to do this now, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you know. But uh, I, I've actually spun off the idea of maybe I should just release it as a PDF and mm-hmm. just charge fifty bucks for the damn thing and say this is just is this is going to make you will make more than fifty dollars because you read this, and if you don't, I'll give you your money back. Like, I mean, I, I've honestly thought about going okay. to like old school, long copy sales, like mm-hmm. just because it would be done. Like here it is. Yeah, you know, if you if you don't like it. I don't care. Here's no, I baby.
2: signed up to be an affiliate. Yeah, promoter. or Well, I
1: call it an ambassador program. So that's, okay, that's, that's what, part yeah. of why I need the website, right? Because, because
2: um, I think I, I think we committed to the ambassadors committed to buying ten and then giving yeah. those ten away or something, yeah,
1: something along those lines. Yeah. So see, my this is my like insider info on how to game the Amazon bestsellers list. So okay, yeah, yeah, right. My deal with that was you get listed as an ambassador. Okay, and you're in the book in in the dedication, et mm-hmm. cetera, and but you have to buy it the week that it drops, and they all have to ship to friends and family. They you can't buy them and have them come in a box to your house. Yeah, okay. And yeah. the reason for that is it makes them individual orders, and you instantly. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving like inside Amazon game system things mm-hmm. there, and that was that was the intent there. Regardless of whether I end up using Amazon or not, that's that's a commitment I've made. Everybody's in a folder, everybody's mm-hmm. in the book, okay. everybody gets listed. So anybody that stepped up and did it when it was going to cost you something, if it ends up. Not costing you something, then <laughs> you'll still be there, right? Because yeah, you're willing yeah. to support me. But yeah, that's that's where I'm at with. I, I really need somebody good at formatting to just make the damn thing ready for publication, mm-hmm. uh, so that'll fit. You know, because the ebook side is pretty easy there, but mm-hmm. fitting the layout, the page count, everything for a hard copy book, which I really want it to be. Mm-hmm. I, I want it to be something that people can hand, like when they're done reading it. Yeah, give it away. I don't care that it costs me a sale. You know, I'm not yeah. gonna NFT it, right? <laughs> so, yeah. It's like if you sell your own book to, to Bob, you have to do it through my thing and give me twenty. Nah, I'm not doing that shit. If you want to give my book away, give it away, right? Like that. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly.
1: That's the whole point. I, I
2: mean, I've read more books from the library than
1: I think I yeah. own. You know, definitely, definitely that. So, but I, I've read my own book like eight times and don't hate it yet. So I figure I did a pretty decent job. <sighs>
2: Yeah, that's probably a good that's probably a good gauge.
1: Yeah. So. You know, if you can read your own book more than a few times you, yeah. you probably get okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit here at the end. You mentioned it just kind of piqued my interest that you worked in probation and parole.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's a that's an interesting thing, like especially Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Man, somebody that goes in the system there for a very minor thing may may die in the system. Like, it just seems oh, to... Oh, yeah, once
2: a- once you're in the system, it's hard to break out. Y- you know, I and would- if
1: you're a child molester, I don't care if somebody shoves a cheese grater up your ass and puts a weight no. around it and throws you in the water. Like, But there are so many people that end up in our judicial system that, you know, just... It, it's such a minor no. thing, and yet it just eats into their life forever, and no. they can never shake it.
2: See, now, now, as a parole agent, I only deal, dealt with felonies. Okay. Uh, people that have been in jail for over a year. Okay. Um, so I didn't – a few probation cases, we had to manage the interstate cases that came from New Jersey, so I'd have guys that went down to the shore from Philadelphia and yeah. got drunk and got a year probation. Okay. Uh, in fact, I had a lot of co- – in fact, I had a few college students uh, at Temple that were on probation from other states. So – um, but I, I dealt with some guys long term. They, they were years in the system, and uh, at the time, I, I don't know what the figure is now. We had about a fifty cent, uh, fifty fifty percent um, return rate that mm. they would either not complete their sentence or soon after they completed their sentence, they would be incarcerated again. And you know, I had I had sons on. Sons and fathers, I had a son and a grandfather at one time on, that I supervised on parole. Um, so, but, if you're not in the criminal justice system, probation and parole doesn't impact you in a certain way, because if you decide to let that person come into your home, uh, when they're on supervision, whether it be probation or parole, uh, you are allowing a law enforcement officer to come into your home practically any time. And they can search. I mean, whenever I would go out and there would always be paperwork, you know, I'd, I'd go out to meet the family or a friend or wife or whatever before they came home. They had to have what they we called an approved home plan. In other words, we had to know where they were going to live and who they were going to live with. And they had to sign the uh, the home provider agreement letter saying there's no weapons in the house and things of that nature and that they would let us in the house when we showed up. And so when you're dealing with somebody on probation or parole, I can come in as a parole agent. I could come into your house practically any time. In fact, I don't, I mean, you know, you tried to be nice cause you had to work with these people for years and, uh, they had to let me in and they had to let me look around the house. And I, we said that, uh, Uh, We will only search his room, you know, for drugs, weapons, whatever. But they signed a home provider agreement letter that says, I could search the house. That was the letter of the law, that I could search the house. Now, to prove it, that, you know, say I I walked into a house and I found a bag of drugs, you know, whatever, crack or whatever. Um, To prove that it was that parolees and not somebody else's in the house... Would be difficult. That's why we typically limit it to their room, because they had direct control over it. I mean, I went into one guy's house and, uh, no, no, he was, he tested positive for cocaine at my office. I went to his house and he told me where his, uh, cocaine, his stash was. Guess what he was using? He was using a mirror and a little bag of cocaine. Guess whose card he was using to cut his lines of cocaine? My business card. <laughs> <laughs> And then I I found some marijuana one time right underneath the guy's driver's license. So I'm going, yeah, it's yours. So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, I, that happened all the time, the goofy things like that. But, uh, yeah, whenever you're, whenever someone's coming in your house that's on probation or parole, you're inviting the state into your home, basically. So I would be very wary of, uh, letting them come in and, uh, do whatever they will, so.
1: And I've seen the state do some really nasty things, too. In particular, I, I know of one individual who he, he was on parole, so, of course, no guns. Mm-hmm. There were guns at his mother's house. Mm-hmm. He was not staying or living there. Um, he basically went from being on... Actually, I think he was on probation or something for like a misdemeanor, Mm -hmm. and he ended up pleading to a felony for possession of the weapons, because they basically said that they were going to do up his mom for possession of the weapons, and uh, making them available to him if he didn't. Uh. He must. Not, he must have had a public defender. <laughs> yeah, I think so at the time. I mean, I yeah, think this yeah. is,
2: I, that's a that's a hard one to prove that the weapons were at another house
1: and he had access to them. I, uh, you see, know. now it, it, the the, I, the I thing is, it's that, really you know. easy for you to say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, yeah. you're not the one looking at your mom going to prison. Oh, no, 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 right. But, you know. See,
2: I I, I enjoyed being a pr- parole officer. I a parole agent. I believed in rehabilitation. I believed guys could change, and I saw it happen. You yeah. know, I did see it happen, and I I can't imagine how miserable a human being I would be if I saw everybody fail in that. Um, but, you know, I knew some of these guys for years. I knew their families. I knew their kids. I knew their mother. I helped their grandmother carry groceries into the house. You know, you'd show up, and grandma would be carrying groceries in the house, and guess what? I'm going to help her. So, but... Uh, yeah, there, there were some parole agents out there that I go, really? You're, you're going to treat them like that? Why? You know, why aren't you going to be a decent human being to them? So I did have a few problems with people the way they treated parolees. So yeah, but yeah. That, cause I knew I was going
1: to be in a long-term relationship with them.
2: <laughs> so yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I'm imagining you enjoy what you do now better than that though.
2: Yeah. It's, it's basically a uh, security position um, and i'm very amazed by the organization i'm part of uh you know it, it's got its faults of course yeah but it's back in the private sector but uh i i really do enjoy what i do and uh making the uh people uh, safe there so
1: Got you, man. Well, hey, I appreciate you being with us today. You want to tell people how they can learn more about what you do, find your books, all that stuff? Sure,
2: sure. Uh, just go to my website, com. That's a-a-forringer, uh, f-o-r-r-i-n-g-e-r.com. And you can find a link to all my books and all my articles and uh, whatever else uh, you want to find out about me is at com. If you want to email me... Uh, just type in uh, AA and at aA Uh If you want to talk to me about uh, if you want a copy of my latest book, The Miles Mitchell Mysteries, which is a standalone book, uh, just type in mmM at aA and I'll send you a coupon code to uh, download the book from free it's from smashwords.com. Just triple M at a at Foringer, com. Well, hey, man. I'll make I'm su- on any social media at aaforinger.com. There's nobody else out there
1: like me, I guess. <laughs> I'll make sure that links to your website, and I'll try to dig up your social media since you didn't include it oh, uh, I'm sorry. in your form. a Foringer. All right.
2: AA Foringer. That's, it. that's me and almost every social media platform.
1: Great. I'll make sure all of that's in the show notes today, and I appreciate you being with us today, Aaron. All right. Have a great vacation, Jack. Bye now. Well, good stuff from Aaron. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Again, I do have a really great lineup of rewinds coming at you for this week. Some of you already know the last rewind for Friday next week because I screwed up. I screwed up on Monday. I was pre-setting up all the emails for when I'm gone. So, that like, you're going to get emails the whole time I'm gone. It's not because I'm sitting here manually doing it. Like, it's all pre-set up and pre-scheduled. I got to the last one. I was almost finished. And my granddaughter threw a tantrum, was running through the house, screwing a tantrum, and it distracted me. And instead of hitting schedule, I hit send. I'm like, no! And I was, like, trying to stop it, and there's no way once you initiate that, uh, even on a service like Aweber. Once you say send, you better really mean it. So some of y'all know what's coming for next Friday. Some of y'all don't. That'll be a fun one with some little interesting things that happened during it because it was an unusual show in that it was done at my kitchen table. And then since I sent the email, I'm not gonna tell you exactly what it is, but it involved John Pugliano and me sitting here. I and mean, there were a bunch of people coming out to uh, the TSP ranch, right? And uh, there's some phone calls that happened and some arrivals that happened all during it. We just kind of rolled with it. It'll be fun. I got a bunch of other great stuff lined up for you starting tomorrow. We're going to go all the way back to 2014. I think we have one or two from 2018 and a couple from just a year ago. And I think this will be a really interesting period of rewind for you. I'm glad I came up with the concept of doing the rewind episodes with the new intros and all. It lets me go away like I'm about to and not be gone. Right, it, it lets the business continue. It lets the podcast continue, and I think it's always good to kind of rewind once in a while and 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 revisit some things. So I even have a, a two part series in this rewind series coming up for you that's on the basics of preparedness, the basics of being prepared for the most things that go wrong, and we need to do that every once in a while, backing up and redoing the fundamentals. When I played football, you know, it didn't matter how advanced you got. You got to a point where you played a bad game or you made some bad errors. What do you do? Man, we're going to work on fundamentals. And you're out there doing the same drills that you did when you played Pop Warner. That That is that is just the case, and I think it's a, a pattern that repeats, that every once in a while, even when you don't think you're screwing up, you back up and you redo those fundamentals. So we'll have that and some other really pernant stuff. There's going to be one that you're going to be like, holy crap. Did he make that yesterday? And then there's going to be a few things in it that are temporal related back to the news. You'll be like, nope, nope, that did happen in 2014. Lots of good stuff coming for you. Anyway, uh, let's wrap things up. Let me uh, remind you that you can help support us two ways. One, by becoming a member and getting all the great discounts and all the other stuff that goes with it. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on Members to learn more. It's 50 bucks a year, but the discounts will cover your membership plus. I hear from people all the time, I make a couple hundred dollars a year by being a member. So, uh, there's that. And then, I don't have an item of the day for you, but remember, you can always help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. Time for our song of the day. And I thought long and hard about this. What song would I leave you all with when I'm going off to spend time at the ocean? And uh, this song leads off with the line, Mother, Mother, or Ocean, I have heard your call. I've wanted to sail upon your waters since I was 3 feet tall and of course none other than Jimmy Buffett and the song is A Pirate Looks at 40. You know Jimmy wrote a a, a song called "The Pirate Looks at 40 and a bit later he wrote a book. He wrote a book called a Pirate Looks at 50. That's me right now. I'm not there yet, but I'm right there about to cross over, that milestone in life. And much as I've told y'all to make the most of your dash, these vacations like I'm on right now are part of that. As much as I pour my heart and my soul and everything that I am into my work, I try to equally do that with my family and I try to do that with my personal life as well. And as I think about The next 50 years, should I be lucky enough to make it to 100, I want to make sure that I put more fishing in it. And I'll just say this. I think y'all will get some chance to fish with me. Not everybody, obviously. You can't have a quarter million people fishing together, but uh, there'll be some opportunities in this year coming through. And from here on out, do some getaways and go fishing with Jack. But if you can't, if you can't do that, I invite you to learn more about it and do it yourself. What I love about fishing is the way it makes me feel. That's what I love about the song I'm about to play for you. But when you're out there on that water, and there's an animal that's lived its whole life surviving in a place where the big ones eat the little ones, and it can swim better than you could ever swim in your wildest dreams, and between you and it is one thin line, it's a special moment. And there's a lot of people, I think, that have never experienced it. So to them, fishing is just sitting around hoping something bites. There's another level to it. This song takes being on the ocean to another level. And when we think of pirates, we tend to think of people that steal. People that commandeer some other vessel's stuff. But as we talked about when we were talking about pirate chain with Draith, um, Kata, on the last show we did on cryptocurrency and pirate chain, many of the classic pirates didn't steal anything. They were smugglers. They were smugglers. Many of them were key in their role in making the American Revolution happen and making victory possible in smuggling. This song, when he talks about piracy in this song, he's not talking about himself. He's written into the song, like most of Buffett's song. He writes his dreams and wishes into the song. but the song's actually about two different people that inspired him uh, to write the song. And the concept here really is piracy when it comes to smuggling, to bringing in the goodies that maybe the state says you're not supposed to have. the free market. And what could be more free than the ocean? With that, I'll be back, not next Friday, but the following Monday. And until then, enjoy your dash. Make the most of it. I will see you again soon, my friends.
0: Mother, Mother Ocean, I have heard you call. Wanted to sail upon your waters since I was three feet tall. You've seen it all. You've seen it all. Watch the men who rode you switch from sails to steam. In your belly, you hold the treasures. You have ever seen Most of them dream Most of them dream Yes, I am a pirate Two hundred years too late The cannons don't thunder There's nothing to plunder I'm an over forty victim of fate Living too late Arriving too late well, I've done a bit of smuggling And I've run my share of grass I made enough money to buy Miami But I pissed it away so fast Never meant to last Never meant to to go fishing down the rock bottom again, just a few friends, just a few